me in prayer. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what we just sung together. Uh, You entered the world. You put on flesh. Um, As a child, we remember that today um, as we are celebrating Christmas, um, that season when you came into the world. All of those things happened. The angels revealed to the shepherds who went and saw the manger. Lord, remember um, the kings coming, the wise men coming to offer their gifts in worship. Uh, we remember that there wasn't a place for Mary and Joseph at any house or inn, and they, you were born in a really humble circumstances. All of that we wonder. The star that the wise men followed, um, we worship you for your entrance into the world. We remember you and all of those songs and stories that are recorded in the New Testament. And this morning, we remember that you our love, God, and when you came into the world, you put on flesh. Really what it was was love in the flesh entered the world. Might you stir our hearts uh, with your love for us. Might it change us this morning as we look at the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. So the Advent themes that have been handed down traditionally for many years, centuries, um, starts off with the Advent of hope. And the advent of peace, and then last week was the advent of joy, today is the advent of love. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you love? Is there a Christmas treat that you love? Is there a food that you plan to eat later today or tomorrow that you love? I love the mountains. I love Indian food. I love fishing. I love watching the sunrise. I love Ludafisk said no one ever that I've ever met. I love, maybe you love working out. I love my family, you might say. I love my kids. I love my spouse. I love my job. I love my home. Do you love all those things the same? I hope that you love your spouse differently than you love your Christmas treat, or that you love your kids differently than you love your work. Love in our language, in the English language, is pretty dumbed down. You can use it for like, you can use it for I'm interested in, you can use it in I'm sort of interested in, or I really enjoy, or I'm deeply committed to. There's lots of ways we can use that word love. Uh, One of the You can, uh, on the Bible app on your phone, if you want, you can connect with Cottonwood and have Cottonwood be your church. One of the the Bible reading plans that I've read with a few friends by the Bible Project, I've mentioned it each week of Advent because they have something to share that's relevant. They use the themes of Advent, um, peace, hope, faith, joy, I'm not faith, peace, hope, joy, and love, and uh, they have a little video this last week on love, on agape. Agape is the New Testament word that's mostly used. It's the word that we're looking at 1 John 4 this morning, and that's the word that is most used. It's actually used, I think, 30 times in about 17 verses um, in 1 John 4, the second half into into, uh, 1 John 5. And agape, I love this. This is a really um, great summary definition of this word. Agape is the word for love in the New Testament, is that an action done for the well-being of another person without expecting anything in return. We use the phrase unconditional love to describe that 
experience that kind of love. And agape was a pretty meaningless, kind of like we use the word love for everything. It didn't have a ton of the meaning that we have today when the Bible was written, but the Bible writers chose to use the word agape and they attached it to describe the kind of love that they observed in Jesus, in how he cared for people and how he looked to their well-being without expecting anything in return. First John, which is the passage we'll be looking to, you can open your Bible or if you have it on your phone, you can sure open it up there on to First John chapter 4. As I'm, I lost my place, I've got to find it back in my Bible. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John was written by the Apostle John. He also wrote the Gospel John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the first four books of the New Testament. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. Jude is in there as too. But 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Jude was not written by John. That was written by Jude. And then Revelation. But 1, 2, 3 John and Revelation were also written by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John was known, kind of his nickname in the early church was the Apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. And it wasn't like he was Jesus' favorite, although it sort of sounds like that, doesn't it? It actually was kind of that. It was just that John had a peculiarly deep experience of knowing that he was loved. Because you are also... Jesus' favorite. Did you know that? John was too. And John just had this deep experience of having it really penetrate his heart in a unique way. 1 John 4, the passage that we're going to look at is verses 8 through 16. And we're really going to focus just on three or four verses, but we'll touch on the others. It's kind of, many commentators believe, kind of a parallel passage to John chapter 3. You probably know a famous verse in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Actually, there's two places in just the short passage we're looking at where that verse is pretty much paraphrased in a different way um, in 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 8, we'll start there in the second half of 1 John 4, 8 this morning. And this is what 1 John 4, 8 says. It says, God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world. Okay, there's John 3, 16 the first time. So that we might live through him. It's another paraphrase of what John said in that interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, a Jewish ruler who was really interested in Jesus but confused, came to him. It's recorded in John chapter 3. 1 John 4, 9 here repeats a similar expression. God is love. And I just shared with our worship team this morning, that's a great New Testament expression that maybe you've heard before. It's actually, it sounds really nice, doesn't it? God is love. It's, it's, a, it's a, if someone doesn't like God or like the idea of God, saying God is love kind of shifts things a little bit. If that really is God is really love, that does shift, could shift your attitude towards God. It's not just a New Testament idea, though. Just this morning, I'm reading through Psalms, and I read Psalm 144, verse 2, and it says this. First, verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare. And then it says, He is my faithful love. 
he is, the Lord is, my faithful love. I, I love, I love, I'm using that word probably a little bit not the right way. I really am grateful that the fact that God is love is throughout all of the scriptures. It's here in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament as well. Put that verse back up if you would, Alex. First John 4, 8, and 9. We'll go back to it. It says, God sent his one and only son. And that phrase in the Greek is mono. You probably know what that means. One. Genetic. You probably know what that means too, right? But he's, he's the only one. He's a one-of-a-kind being. God sent his one and only son. There's never been another son of the Father God. And there's no one who's the same kind as God. But Jesus came in the same kind as God, put on flesh, to show us what love was like in humanity. So here's the first observation that I'll make this morning. The coming of love is this. First, it's revealed by God in the flesh. It's called, we call that the incarnation. That means in Carne is flesh, put flesh on. Jesus put flesh on. When the angels came and sang in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men, what the angels were really saying is that a person, the person, the Messiah, God in the flesh, God love in the flesh, peace in the flesh, hope in the flesh, has come to make and set all things right. He entered the world and was born for us. Let's look at verse 10, which says this. Love consists in this. This is good. If you want to know what the definition of love is, here's, here's John the apostle, the, the disciple Jesus loved. He says this. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Here's another repeat of John 3.16. And sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for us. Second observation is this, is that love, the coming of love, is, that, is, in, is initiated in God's love for us. Love doesn't start with you and I. Now, we probably don't feel like we have a way to define or even understand what it is to be loved apart from our experience. But John is trying to say it starts before your experience or your personal understanding of love. It actually starts with God, which makes sense. If it's true that God is love, then even our experience of love has to start with God. The world, you could say, didn't really know what love was, not really, until God sent Jesus into the world to display what love really was. I'm not to say that, they, that the Old Testament saints didn't know what love was to an extent. They sure did. God even described himself as being full of unfailing love. But when God sent his son into the world in the flesh, in Jesus, that's really when the light bulb of what love is all about can come on for you and I. John 3.16, of course, is quoted there again. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrated, showed us, revealed to us, initiated his love for us, demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we had nothing to offer, while we really didn't have anything to show for our lives, Jesus did what is described in John 13 as sort of the ultimate way of expressing love. He laid down his life for us. Verse 11 of John chapter 4, we'll move on. 
says this. Hold on. I lost my spot again. I keep flipping around in here. 1 John 4.11 says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Here's the third observation. The coming of love is expressed in our love for each other. When you've been loved, when you are loved, when you have a deep sense that you are loved, I'll just say it in the way that God loves, which is unconditionally. Romans 5.8 says he loves you despite your flaws, all of your flaws, before you did anything good and he still loved you before you did anything good. When you were doing everything wrong, he still loved you. But 1 John 4.11 really shows that if, if God has loved us, then what will happen if we've been loved by God is that it will come out of our lives in love toward other people. Verse 12 goes on to explain it um, a little bit more. Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, the invisible God who was incarnated, put flesh on in the form of Jesus, when we love one another, I'm going to use this word in a different way than you probably mean, but we reincarnate love to one another. We re-put love on in the flesh. I don't mean like come back in another life. Okay, that's what some other religions might teach. But what I'm saying is the incarnation is put flesh on. When we love each other, when God's love comes out of us to other people, what's really happening is that Jesus sort of putting us, our flesh on, and we're loving in the flesh other people. That's what verse 12 is really saying. God's love is made complete. Verse 13 says, This is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. So the first fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The spirit of the Holy Spirit is really the spirit of love. And you know that, you, that, that, you're, that God's love is in you when you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that is really what empowers us to love other people. 14 through 16 says this. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that, that the love God has for us. Here's the fourth observation, is that the coming of love invites our response. Isn't that true of love in your experience? When you have been loved, when somebody has expressed love to you... It, it's, you have to be pretty angry at someone if they look you in the eyes and just say, I love you, and walk away. Now, that happens in human love, right? Because we, we offend each other, we hurt each other, and we're also imperfect in our ability to love. But God is looking you in the eye, the creator of the universe, who entered the world, offered his life on in exchange for yours, his perfect life in exchange for your imperfect life, and he's saying to you and I, I love you. That invites a response. And that's what John describes here is that when you've been loved that way you, and you receive it, you agree with it. And it, it does change you. Now, probably today or tomorrow, depending on your tradition, 
I'm not here to argue with your tradition. If you open all your presents tonight, that's totally fine. If you open only one tonight, that's totally fine. If you open all tomorrow, if you open on the 28th, if you don't give presents, totally fine. But when you are offered a gift, we'll be offering a few gifts at our home to each other. Let's just pretend this is the gift. I like, really like my Stanley coffee mug, so I'm not going to give it away. I'd buy you your own. <clears throat> Wrap it up. But I was going to offer you a gift. And I said, Merry Christmas, here you are. I'm offering the gift. This is like God is offering his love. Here you are. I love you. I've offered my life in exchange for yours. Here you go. Sometimes what we do is we just look at that gift and say, wow, that person really likes me. He really enjoys me. He thinks I'm special. He's even offering me a gift. But this gift is still not in your possession until you accept it. And you open it and you own it. And that's the response that's invited in 1 John 4. God has offered his love to us, to every person. He said, here it is. I have a great gift to offer you. Now, you can admire the gift, and this isn't wrapped, and I am not the best wrapper in my house. I bet you're shocked by that. (laughs) Got a number of ladies in my house that are much better at wrapping presents beautifully. But you might have a beautifully wrapped gift, and you admire how... It's wrapped beautifully, and you can enjoy that, but it's really not your gift until you receive it when it's offered to you, and you accept it, and you make it your own. And that's when you really get the full joy of it. You won't, by the way, Stanley coffee mugs are awesome. They're really nice. This is, I poured my coffee in here like before 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's still warm, and it'll be warm for another couple hours. You know what? You do not get to enjoy the full joy of a Stanley Coffee Mug's ability, and they're not the best ones. I'm sure there's better ones out there, but until you receive it and start using it for yourself. And that's the same way with God's love. It looks really nice. It has great qualities. It's awesome to admire. But until you receive and accept it yourself, you're not really enjoying the gift to its fullest potential. You're not really getting to enjoy the fullness of God's joy for you and I. Jesus came so that you and I would be able to do that. He didn't just come as a cute baby. He did come as a cute baby, but that baby grew up and he became a man. And the reason why we hang crosses in our churches is because that's really the ultimate expression of his love. Is that he offered himself. His life was perfect. Your, your life isn't. I'm, I'm looking you in the eyes. I could look at everyone. You are not perfect. I know that you have blown it with people and with God. And Jesus came to say, I'll offer you my life in exchange for yours. All you have to do is accept my gift. When we share communion, what we're doing is we're celebrating. What we're remembering is that he offered a gift to us, and we are grateful to have had it offered to us. And those who have accepted that gift are remembering, thank you for giving it to us. It's almost like we're saying thank you all over again. That gift, uh, just a little bit better than a Stanley coffee mug, has changed my life. By the way, this, if someone says their coffee mug has changed their life, that's not true. You, you might think you're going to get a life-changing gift. It's probably not true. It might be a little true. Jesus' offer, his gift to us, does have the potential to change your life. All you have to do is say yes to him. That's it. Jesus, thank you 
for the gift that you've offered. I accept it. It's really simple. That's it. It's really simple. If you've never done that, you can do that here right before we share communion. You can come down and share communion with us as you remember your experience of accepting that gift of his love for you two minutes ago. We're gonna, I'm going to read the passage in 1 Corinthians before we share communion. Um, and this is from the Apostle Paul in remembrance of what this, this really means. The bread that's broken and the wine is, the, is it's grape juice for us, but the wine that they shared was symbolic of the blood that he shed. So 1 Corinthians 11:23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's going to come again and set all things right. Until then, we remember his broken body. We remember his shed blood, which opened the door for us to be with him forever. You don't have to be a member of the church to share communion here. We've got a lot of guests Communion is for those who have put their trust in Christ, who have said yes to his gift, and I'm remembering it. So if that's you, please join us at the communion table today. Um, I'll pray, and I'm going to do things a little differently. I'm going to let you come up when you're ready. So usually we go by row. If you're ready in the front row, come on up right away. If you're ready in the back row, come on up right away. If you want to take a few moments to reflect and express your gratitude to, to Jesus, um, for his gift to you. Take a few moments and then make your way on up here. Um, the band has a special music uh, song that they'll play as it appears that people are wrapping up their communion, but it won't be when everyone's done. So if the music is playing, still come on up and share communion if you haven't and you want to. And then after they do the special music, there'll be a song that will close together as a congregation. Let me pray and then as you are ready, feel free to come on up and remember Jesus through communion. Jesus, thank you for coming into the world, for putting on flesh, the creator of the universe. You put on flesh. You became a little baby. It's unbelievable. You are so vulnerable. And you didn't come just as a baby. You came to live a life that would be pure and holy and that you would offer yourself, your body, your life in exchange for ours, that you would pay the penalty for our sins eternally on the cross, that all we would have to do is accept that gift that you offer us. I put my trust, I accept you, Jesus, into my life, your atoning sacrifice, you're, you're offering your life in exchange for mine. Thank you for that. That's what we remember here this morning. We remember that you've done that for us. Your body was broken for us, your blood was shed for us, and we celebrate you this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.